Well, here we are, together again for the Haiku P podcast, episode 21 of the third series. I'm Patricia, your host, and today I'm joined by Craig Kittner to continue our conversation about pretentiousness, and M. Shane Pruitt, who will give us a reading of some of his unpublished work. Some of us have started a new Renku, so naturally there'll be a Renku update. And don't forget, if you'd like to take part in one, let me know. I'm putting together the cast for the next one. And to end today, there's a haiku from my friends the Clevelands over at the Haiku Poet podcast. But first, I've some housekeeping bits and bobs, which include an update to the Autumn Journal and the topics for next year. If you'd like to stay up to date with what's happening at Poetry Bee, then do please sign up for the mailing list on the website. For the time being, my mailings and the website will be the most consistent way I'll be communicating with the world. And there's lots of news coming soon, like the announcement on the availability of the latest journal, and of course, the topics for next year. So what is happening with the journal? Well, I'm really sorry, but my little stay in hospital has held me up. I'm at the proof stage of production, so as long as there are no huge problems, you should get a mailing soon. Well, within about three weeks, to tell you it's available at Amazon. Now, we're at that stage of the year when I announce the topics for next year. They will be on the website soon, but I'd like to let you know what I'm planning. It's probably a little selfish of me, but I feel like my technique has been really suffering this year, and I need a boost to get my creative juices flowing. So what I thought was, let's spend the year writing haiku not to specific word prompts, but using specific techniques. The first technique I'd like to kick off with, and we'll return to it a few times this year, is Kigo. Kigo, as you almost certainly know, is a word used to describe the season. And it's been traditionally used in the writing of haiku. It places the haiku in a particular season, and in Japanese culture adds another dimension – a specific poetic association, to quote Haru Shiran. He uses the example of rain to illustrate his point. Spring rain, for example, became associated with soft, dreamy thoughts. The wet season, particularly that of the fifth month, in this case June, implied a sense of unending depression. And the intermittent showers of winter connoted impermanence and uncertainty. Now it occurs to me that this cultural stroke poetic association is not valid in English language haiku. English is such a global language and so it's really quite hard to have that cultural and poetic association. Or is it? That's something I'd like us to explore together this year. But for now, in this first exploration of Kigo, let's set ourselves the goal of putting our work solidly in a season – and as we're a global movement, we experience our seasons at different times, and some of us really don't have the four distinct seasons so apparent here in Switzerland, or indeed other parts of the northern and southern hemispheres. Nonetheless, I'd like to work with Kigo for four months next year, and in January I'd like to begin with spring and autumn. And please note that from December I'll have a new submission period, I'll only be accepting submissions for each topic between the 1st and 20th of each month. 
And as those of you who have been late know, I'm quite ruthless about deadlines. So to summarise, from December the 1st to the 20th, I'll be accepting haiku with Kigo for spring and autumn. And if you're not sure where to start, I've put a couple of links on the show notes to get you going. There's a Zoom talk by Philip Kennedy entitled The Seasons We Cherish, Season Words and Japanese Traditional Aesthetics and a list of Kigo which I've found useful in the past. The 500 Essential Japanese Seasonal Words. But what would be interesting is the development of our own Kigo. So don't be afraid to go off-piste. Put a seasonal reference in your haiku and if I don't understand it, I can always ask. Just don't put the name of the season as your seasonal word. Let's be more imaginative than that. I'm looking forward to reading your work. But remember, before we get to spring and autumn, we've got haiku and senryu without verbs, and your deadline for that is the 1st of December. Now today, Craig and I are carrying on our conversation from Series 3, Episode 19, in which we were discussing pretentiousness. If you didn't hear that, it's probably a good idea to listen to it first. In that discussion, we covered the first of Craig's two categories, that is, a sense of putting on airs and grandiloquence. And now we come to the final part, looking at what Craig is calling audaciousness. Of course we're going to get into tundra again, but don't let me spoil it for you. Let's see what you make of our chat. Do email me and let me know. But also, if you have a moment, please put a comment on the YouTube offering so Craig can see your thoughts too. Remember, we like a debate here. And I know you'll keep it constructive. So welcome back, Craig. This is actually my favourite bit of pretentiousness, if you will, mm-hmm. if I can say that. Audaciousness. I like to think of audacious as a proceeding with an enthusiastic originality. But, you know, it's kind of where you just throw all caution to the wind and you go for it. And, I, I, you know, this is what, in my mind, really does facilitate vitality and growth in the uh, medium. I mean, it's very hard to pull off with a haiku. As short as haiku is, to really pull off something of originality and, and audaciousness is mm-hmm. and do it well and, and have it not just reject it out of hand. That's a big challenge. Uh, I think I've accomplished it maybe a couple of times. You're going to have to share the accomplishments with us because I don't I, think I've done it. I will, but I, you know, now of course I will preface this by saying I might be full of myself. Uh, there's actually two that I, I kind of picked out to identify. The first one uh, was published in Bottle Rockets, uh, issue number okay. 41. And it's um, raindrops becoming the sound of rain. I think that's a little different. I think, you know, I, I broke a little ground there, but. Was this a one-liner or it, did you did you do it over three? It was yes, one. it is a one-liner, a monocule. Uh, I think I said one time when I emailed you that I tend to, when I'm doing a monocule, I tend to be, uh, or I don't know which comes first, whether it's I tend to be more experimental when I do a monocule or when I'm, when I am experimental, or when I write a monocue, I get experimental. I'm not sure which. Yeah, and you know, when I wrote that one, I, and originally, you know, the original form of it wasn't this. And the experience of actually that, that led to the to the writing was, um, you know, lying in bed one night, 
not quite falling asleep in the rain. First, just being aware of a few raindrops. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and like being really aware of each individual raindrop. And then suddenly being aware, well, now it sounds like rain, not a raindrop. You know, now it sounds like they've all blended into this bigger sound. It's rain. But, you know, as I wrote it, it was, I was trying to place myself in it as in lying in bed, you know, there was all mm -hmm. these other kind of elements of it. Yeah. And as I just kept trying to make it, you know, pare it down and make it work, I realized the only thing I need is that, that transition of sound, that that is enough nature and enough juxtaposition and, and even kind of vaguely hints at, at season, even though, you know, of course rain can happen at any time, but still, when you think of rain, at least I think, you know, most people, when you think of rain, you kind of tie it to a particular, whatever favorite season of rain you, you experience. I tell you what else I think of though, when, when I read that poem, raindrops becoming the sound of rain. Mm -hmm. But to me, when I was reading it, it was a visual transition as well as a verbal one. I don't know, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Maybe it's it just- It does actually. And, and I think that that too points out to the importance sometimes of not being too specific. You know, if I had, if I had done the whole thing of I'm lying in bed and it was all just sound oh, yeah. and I cut that interpretation off from your, you know, from your experience, whereas you bonding with it that way made it more of your experience than, than my experience. Is this what they call um, white space in a, a haiku maybe? That you've, you so haven't they, yeah, said you everything, yeah. you know, and exactly. you've, you've left something to my imagination too, which I think is quite important, particularly oh, yeah. in haiku. So that was number one. What was the second one? Well, the second one came out in Bones, issue 20. Uh -huh. Once shaded sweat carries the weight of sunlight. Once shaded sweat carries the weight of sunlight. Experientially, how it came about was a very hot day here in North Carolina, which can be really, really hot and humid. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I was out for a walk uh, around noonish. <laughs> mm -hmm. so I had been out in some strong sunlight and then walked into a, a really shady area. And, mm -hmm. you know, as the, you know, kind of get that little bit of sense of coolness and all, but then mm -hmm. I became really aware of how heavy my shirt was with sweat and how my body felt heavy because of the, you know, the exertion and all. And I just felt this kind of, with this darkening and cooling and also just this sense of weight coming on me. But then I realized too that, you know, the sunlight is what generated the sweat. And in a way, the sweat is the holding onto the energy of the sunlight, you know, or the, the end result of that sunlight. So again, thinking about how the thing can play, because it's a monocue, you don't know where there's a division or a cut. You have to feel your way through it. So it could be once shaded, mm -hmm. sweat carries the weight of sunlight. Or it could be once shaded sweat carries the weight of sunlight. Or, you know, there's there's that play of, of where actually is the emphasis and, and the monocue allows it to be a vague. I went with the second, when I was reading it, I went with the second one and it became mm -hmm. quite visual to me again, which I loved because it was not only a play on, on the words, but the, the colors, the light and the dark of the, the sweat and coming mm -hmm. into play too. I hope you're not offended, but I love it when people try and interpret my work and it's possibly not quite where I thought I was going with it, but it, oh, it gives it another too. dimension, you know? You know, um, I, in a lot of ways, I don't think of, of uh, poetry, uh, haiku in particular, I don't really think of it as mine. <laughs> you know, I don't generate these experiences, they come to me and then I'm the interpreter of, 
trying to get them out into the world uh, in a different way. Going back to Tundra, I blow hot and cold about it. You know, one day I think it's brilliant. Another day I sit and think, well, is it so brilliant? Mm -hmm. It works because I know what Tundra should be. Never seen it, but I, I know what it should be like. And uh, I think that's what he was trying to establish on the page. Not quite sure why he put it slow, so low down the page. But again, my thinking was it's got something to do with the um, frozen uh, substratas, possibly. Could be, but, but again, I look at it from a visual art standpoint. Go on then, tell me. Because now, uh, well, let, let me put a little bit of context here too, though, and why I think it's important to look at it in the original book. Okay. Because, and again, at the time he wrote it, he, he was not well-versed in haiku okay. circles yet. Mm -hmm. This was really before he got involved deeply with other people writing haiku. Okay. It, was, it was fairly early in his career, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so several of the pieces preceding it in the book are long, long for particularly contemporary standards for haiku. They're quite okay. wordy. And then you flip the page and here's this open expanse of space in this one word. I think the way he placed the word, because I do want to reference real quick, there is a excellent, and I think you referenced it in the same uh, podcast originally, but there's an excellent interview between him and Jim Casian you know, just about everything. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, there's yeah. some great information in there. But he did mention a affection for, for painting and particular artwork. And, and, and he was living in New York at the time, so he was going to art, art museums. Yeah. I think the placement of the word is right right at the golden mean, if you know that, uh, that mm -hmm. compositional idea, which is mathematical formula. that basically means that, you know, what's what's above or what's below is, is a, a portion and what's it's a set dimension that gives it a sense of landscape. Um, I think they have something similar with photography, don't they? Uh, something like the rule of thirds. Yes. A bit like that, yeah. It's kind of a, uh, as an interpretation of the golden mean. Golden yeah. mean kind of came out in uh, when they were first doing a lot of perspective work in painting, okay. you know. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, But again, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasing balance between empty space and full space. Yeah. And yeah. it's often, if you think about how important the sky is, in an area like the tundra, which is, yeah. is a vast plain, uh, a vast flat plain, then the sky really has an impact. So having more empty space above than below gives you that sense of sky over land. I, I yeah, it's a great piece mm. in some ways because it just engenders a lot of discussion about it, and you learn through that discussion. You're not necessarily about one word haiku, but just composition yeah. itself. As you know, I've been talking about brevity and simplicity in the podcast over the last few weeks, months. To me, it's weeks, but it's months. Um, and Richard Hargreaves, another one of our community, wrote to me and he said, you know, okay, as well as Tundra, could you not just have Sahara or Atacama? Again, place the word interestingly on the page. If you took, for me, at the Atacama would, would be a bit, bit like Tundra, about two thirds mm. down the page. But it would be on a yellow background. Both of them would be on yellow backgrounds. Mm. And it becomes, in my mind, a little similar to Tundra. But, you know, it's already been done, so maybe wouldn't engender so much discussion. And Sahara, because to me the Sahara is more, has more dunes, sand dunes. So, you, again... So you want to curve the word? I'm curving the word um, so <laughs> on the go. yellow background. But the, that, that clearly doesn't work in a podcast, so I couldn't couldn't use it. Or or even you know, ton, no one word haiku particularly works 
on a spoken level. You, I think, I don't know, maybe you disagree, but I think it needs its background to help it along the way. I'd like to see the challenge of trying it in the reading. Again, maybe we'll do that next year as one of the topics. But Richard also sent me something else. He threw another one out. He said, why not umbilical? I thought, mm, that doesn't quite work for me. So I did this. I'm going to share something else. Umbilical cord. Couldn't possibly do this one on the podcast. It really doesn't work as a reading. So I'm sorry, I'm going to have to describe it for people who are just listening to this. I've got the parenthesis, one parenthesis at the beginning, then umbilical cord, and then the opposite one. So it looks, what I'm trying to achieve here is the first parenthesis is a mother's stomach, um, then umbilical cord, and then the other one is the child's the stomach. So you've got sure. the connection between the two. And I thought that's the nearest Craig that I've ever be <laughs> been <laughs> to, be <laughs> to doing something sort of vaguely original, I think. The parentheses definitely give it that sense of, you say, pregnancy, stomach, mm -hmm. the little outie that the baby has when they're Yeah. <laughs> you know, one could almost look at it as a tongue-in-cheek uh, kind of approach, too. Uh, again, different interpretation, but what do you do with an umbilical cord? Well, you cut it. And what's, what do haiku need? It needs a cutting word. <laughs> oh, oh, now we're getting technical. <laughs> oh, it has its own built-in credence. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you for that. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, so that, that, that was my attempt at originality. But The thing I, about arguments like, well, can't you just use any word? And, and Cora actually addresses that in that interview where he says, there are probably a lot of one words that might work. And the uh, idea, basically, the, the only thing is who basically thinks of it first and puts it down and gets it accepted in a publication. But what I wanted to ask you was, we talk, we're talking about the originality and originality of work and how it pushes on, on the boundaries. And I'm, I'm not sure we can put that one into, into pretension. If someone's genuinely trying to push the boundaries, should we, should we regard it as a pretentiousness or should we just try and admire the fact that they, they are pushing those, whether you like it or not? I, I think, think it, my point, the point, reason, reason really why I pulled that in, mm -hmm. uh, two, two actual Okay. Reason. One is, is almost in the way of trying to take control of the word, you know, trying to, to turn the word on its head a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and also the other thing is, again, I wasn't, I wasn't approaching this based on what's my interpretation or what's my, you know, uh, level of what, but how other people might be reacting. I see it. Yeah. And so, okay. as I said, you know, kind of early on, a lot of times cutting edge work originally is seen as labeled as something else um, and pretension could be one of the things it's labeled as. Again, one last time to go back to Tundra real quick, 63. Mm -hmm. Think about what was going on in 1963. Minimalism was coming into its own in New York where Cora was living. Yeah. You know, even if he wasn't consciously aware of the, of the, uh, of the impact, I'm sure it had an impact on the, the other question I was going to ask you was, I head towards Bones and Sonic Boom if I want to try and get a bit of bit of an idea how things are evolving. But are, are there places mm. that you would go to read more cutting edge stuff? Bones, definitely. Yeah, I agree with you on Sonic Boom as well. You know, I think modern haiku sometimes, uh, some, but they, you know, they, they have quite a oh, range. Yeah. Um, yes, they do. But the other thing I like to look at is some that aren't necessarily haiku publications, but deal with short form as general and then okay. haiku will creep in. 
one is a shot class journal. Um, and that's kind of a shameless plug because I was in there for the first time earlier this summer, but Ooh. shot class has, it's like, I think their rule is anything under 12 lines maybe or something along that line, but you see quite a bit of haiku or haiku like in there. And that's one thing I do want, you know, like with bones, he's not necessarily just doing haiku. He's, he's got a, you know, he, if you look at submission policy, there are other short forms that are coming into that. So he's not necessarily saying everything in here is haiku, but he does definitely have a cutting edge definition of what haiku should be. Yeah. Not sure what else to look at in uh, as source though. Again, you know, certain things that are really of the moment, like haiku dialogue on, on haiku foundation site is, is something that's very um, now because, you know, it's every week it's kind of written to a certain theme and at least supposedly it's supposed to be a, all stuff just written to reaction to that thing. Yeah. So sometimes you'll see some stuff slipping in there that, that is playing with the, uh, the feel. Well, but what about with the podcast? We've seen some interesting things come through the podcast. I don't go out of my way to have experimental stuff, but I don't turn it, turn it down either. And I think there's a slight limitation with the podcast in that so much like the umbilical cord thing, the umbilical cord really, I think, needs to be seen on a page to have any chance of working and that's another reason why i started the journal so that maybe if some somebody has a submission that i can't use on the podcast hasn't happened so far but maybe after this discussion it will happen but <laughs> you know maybe if somebody's got something that needs to be visual it needs that visual clue as well as the um the written clue the hearing it then maybe i'll start to get more more like that I saw some work from, I think it was from Mark Gilbert, where he'd done some, I guess you'd call it concrete haiku. Mm. The visual element was, I think, just as important as the written element of it. Um, if I find that, or if Mark, if you're listening, please send it to me. And I'll, I'll have a look at that and, and put some a link to it on the show notes as well. So people can have a look at what I thought was quite an original way of, of writing. Too. Mm. So, so that was that. But the other thing... I, I thought I'd mentioned, but we, we've spoken, I've spoken about it on the podcast and you and I have spoken about it virtually is what I worry about when I try and push those boundaries is the loss of my voice. Now you've mm -hmm. said, you know, you've basically said, you're not going to lose your voice, just do it. You know, it, you're right. always going to, it, it's always going to shine through. But sometimes because I'm at the stage of writing, I am, I think when I push too hard, the voice changes and the voice isn't me. So what I have to do is probably keep pushing and becoming more comfortable pushing those boundaries. Is that making sense? Do you know what I'm trying to say? It does. It does. And, and I feel like we've kind of naturally segued into one element that we're kind of dancing around, but I haven't really addressed directly, which is the element of fear. And, you know, I've run into, I'm sure you too, you have too, I've run into people who are just, so adamant that this is what haiku is. They have a very rigid, locked-in idea of this is what the form is supposed to be. I think a lot of that is often motivated by fear. And it's the fear of if, if it's not what I think it is, or if, there's, if it's open to other interpretations, am I going to lose the ability to write it and be published with it? You know, when I hear someone who's really bitter about, well, these, you know, these publications aren't or just accepting anything and they're not accepting it's not haiku anymore i i get a sense of am i now not going to be able to get published because things have moved on and then the other element of what you said 
I've, you know, I'm worried I'm going to lose my voice. I'm worried it's not going to be me anymore. Mm. But I would counter that with saying a human being is no more a rigid definition of what they are than, than, than an True. art form. Is. You, you change. Your experience changes you. So maybe it's not who you are. Maybe it's who you're going to be. One last reference back to painting mm -hmm. years. But this is, I, I read a book that was very influential on me when I was young. Uh, and it, I'm not even sure if I remember the title, but it, it was written by a master's student or master's graduate, you know, master in fine arts, uh, who asked himself the question of why so many people that he went to school with, people who did a master's, weren't creating work anymore. Mm. You know, what caused them to lose whatever they had that caused them to create? And one of the things he talked about was you have to create crap to get to the good stuff. You, he's like, you know, 90% of what you create, you're going to throw away. Yeah. And you have to. Because yeah. you can't get to the good stuff if you don't work out the bad stuff. So, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Write some, and if you're going to fail, fail spectacularly. Just write some really bad stuff. And if you have to burn it later, do that. But, you know, if it's there, if there's an urge to do it, put it down on the paper and just see what, what you got. And then try not to judge it too too soon, too quickly. Let it, let it percolate a bit. You know, do you think that's a good place to, to stop and, and leave people with the idea? You know, get out there and do some writing. Do yes. not be afraid to, to fail. Just do it. Exactly. Thank you very much for another one of our chats. It was nice to actually do it in person for a change. Um, I hope we'll do it again in the future. Thank Absolutely. you, Craig. Thank you. My thanks to Craig, who gave up so much of his time for us. I hope you enjoyed it, and it's given you something to mull over. If you'd like to see the pictures of the one-word haiku inspired by Richard Hargreaves, I've put them on the show notes, as well as Craig's monocou. I also got in touch with Mark Gilbert after the recording, and he very kindly sent me the links to the work I was looking for. And you'll find them too in the show notes, along with lots of other information from today's podcast. Now, as I said at the beginning, we've started Renku 5, or, to give it its title, Golden Leaves Drifting. My thanks so far to the poets S. Silenga, Kim Russell, Riam El Ashri, and Lorraine Padden. We've made a cracking start, I think. Please check the show notes to see exactly who did write each verse. But let me read it to you. Evening breeze, golden leaves drifting under streetlights. Night creatures explore their new world. Through crumbling soil, ink caps and dead man's fingers, mushrooming. Dry yellow cornstalks, black feathers watch over. Harvested fields, rinsed in moonlight their cycle complete. There'll be much more to come over the next months, but my thanks again to all the poets involved for working with me on this. I do love collaborating on the Renku. And next, I have another treat for you. The voice of another of our community of poets, 
M. Shane Pruitt. He's going to read some of his unpublished work for you, and I hope you'll send me feedback for him. He'd like your thoughts on the work and suggestions for improvements. Send me the emails and I'll forward them to him. Over to you, Shane. I want to first just thank you, Patricia, for inviting me to share some of my work here and to say thanks again for the podcast. I really appreciate what you've brought to the world of haiku, and I know that I've learned a lot as a result of engaging with the other writers and with the information that you share, and I just want to say that I very much appreciate that. I decided to simply offer a few of my attempts to make sense of 2020, Though a few of these have been submitted previously, none of them have been published or are under consideration, so I'd love to hear from you with any feedback or suggestions since there still potentially works in progress. With that, I'll jump in and I'll read each haiku twice in succession. So I believe that sometimes we have to lean into the discomfort of a moment to find the hidden wonder of something. And one evening uh, earlier this spring, when I was out for a walk, I had just such an opportunity. Blood donor. Mosquitoes dispense me to the passing bats. Blood donor. Mosquitoes dispense me to the passing bats. Like everyone, we're still under the grip of COVID-19. In the midst of that, here in western Oregon and elsewhere, we struggled with fires that were for some devastating, and of course, now we're in the midst of another contentious election. It has been a challenging year, for sure. I was sick in the spring, not with COVID, but it was worrisome at that point until I knew better. And about that time, or about the time that I was coming out of it, Craig Kittner challenged us on the haiku dialogues to borrow or steal something and create haiku. I was reading from Dante's Inferno at the time, and the closing lines spoke to me when I ventured out for a short walk one evening. Quarantine rooms. From there, I crept outside and saw the stars. Quarantine rooms. From there, I crept outside and saw the stars. Of course, it wasn't long after finally wandering out that we were forced back in by the wildfires. Smoke inhalation, the burning question of tomorrow. Smoke inhalation, the burning question of tomorrow. During this time, I had to make a trip downtown. We have a significant homeless population, and I actually sat in my truck near tears because I didn't know how to help these people. Many of them have issues that I'll never understand, and I think that we as a society fail them every day, now more than ever with the pandemic and seemingly increasing uh, homeless problems and the smoke quality that we were dealing with at that time. Homeless camp. Masks are no protection from misfortune. Homeless camp. Masks are no protection from misfortune. There's been a lot to 2020, right? And I haven't even touched on the racial unrest, though that has been prominent as well. 
I know that as a middle-aged white male American, I am the problem, or at least representative of it. And as such, I don't really have the words to write about that. I can't speak for others. So I will stay with what I know, but I'd like to put it in this context. Hope. I love the turning of the seasons, as many poets do, and part of the reason, I believe, is that it reminds us that nothing is permanent. Thus, I hope that what we are seeing in the world is a season of change, a recognition of the value and importance of every person. So here's to hope in the coming year. Spring. Hovering kestrel, the meadow below turning green. Hovering kestrel, the meadow below turning green. Summer. Bird song, how the light seeps into my room. Bird song, how the light seeps into my room. Fall, blushing before she disrobes, red maple. Blushing before she disrobes, red maple. And for winter, cold sun. Warming the old pine, a red-tailed hawk. Cold sun. Warming the old pine, a red-tailed hawk. Again, thank you, Patricia. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to what you bring us in 2021, as well as what the world brings us. Hopefully a much better year. Thanks. I don't know about you, but I have some thoughts for Shane. For instance, quarantine rooms, from there I crept outside and saw the stars. Listening to it, it immediately struck me that you could remove some of line two and change the tense. And it became quarantine rooms, I creep outside to see the stars. Or even, which potentially I like better, Quarantine rooms, creeping outside to see the stars. Shane, as you already know, I enjoyed listening to your work and the emotional vibrancy of your voice. Come on everyone, let's reward Shane's bravery and send him lots of feedback. Don't forget to email me please. Well, sorry folks, that's all for today. But before I leave you, my thanks to the Cleveland family over at Haiku Poet Podcast. They read out one of my haiku, which I wrote specifically for them. Cloudless sky. Storks gather in the marshes. Then they sent me a lovely thank you letter, a great drawing, and a haiku, which I'd like to read to you before we go. They can't remember which of them wrote it, so let's just call it a Cleveland family haiku. Clouds drifting through reeds, children fishing. Clouds drifting through reeds, children fishing. My thanks to everyone who's contributed to the podcast today, and to you, of course, for coming along and listening. It's really nice to think I'm not just chatting to myself. 
Thanks to you all. If you have any thoughts on the podcast, please email me. And don't forget, I'm accepting submissions of haiku and senryu without verbs until the 1st of December. And then from the 1st of December till the 20th, I'll be accepting your submissions of haiku with kigo relating to spring and autumn. See you in a couple of weeks when I'll read you the verses written specifically for us on the topic of social issues. James Young has worked really hard for us as a guest editor. Thanks, Jim. And I think we've whittled out the politics and have a very interesting project which tells us a little bit about what's bothering us globally. There's quite a bit of consensus but you'll have to listen to the next podcast to find out the results. Until then, keep writing. If I've left anything out of the show notes, or you have questions, just send me over an email and I'll get back to you. Ciao!